All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Utah Liberty Talk. You already know the deal is TD. Hope you guys are doing good and all that stuff. We got the general elections coming up next year, um, so that'll be fun and exciting. We'll get right back into it. We'll get up. Of course, these off years are a little bit slower, but that's okay because liberty is forever. Liberty shall pursue. Now, I, it's been, um, I've been traveling a lot, so I apologize for not getting an episode out in, in a little while. I uh, went to the Pac-12 Championship in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago. I was in a training in New Orleans the week before that, so um, I've just been out and about, uh, not been home on Sundays. So um, haven't been able to record this, um, this kind of stuff. But I've had an episode um, that I've been working on that I've been trying to record for quite some time. So um, this is going to be fun. Um, this is the ABCs in the case of the privatization of everything. This is going to be a good episode. Um, I can talk about this kind of stuff uh, with people a lot, um, particularly because I'm an anarcho-capitalist, um, as well as a libertarian, of course. But um, this is going to be a great episode. Um, there's going to be some <laughs> good arguments for the free market made here. Uh, so with that being said, let's hop right into the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I've been wanting to make an episode for quite some time on uh, the case for the privatization of everything. And I thought, uh, how can I make this a little bit fun? So this is the ABCs of privatizing everything. This isn't necessarily the procedure. This is ABCs of the, the different things that we should privatize. So you guys will kind of get the gist as I start out. But uh, this is just a, you know, obviously a regulated list based off of the size of the alphabet on um, all of the different things um, that we should privatize for all different reasons. Um, so I think this will be a fun, uh, fun little uh, episode to do. Of course, you know, you, <laughs> this is I love making the case for the privatization of things. Um, I'll talk with my uh, more status friends or um, even people that believe uh, that a state is necessary in a libertarian society. And I am making the case against that. I'm making the case for privatizing everything. So let's get it started. So we're going to start off with A, the first letter of the alphabet. A, airports. The privatization of airports. Now, airports, everyone knows. Um, I think they made a South Park episode on this, which is kind of funny. But airports are just a total pain in the butt. I think it was Mr. Garrison that made this new contraption that was quite horrible, but um, the, uh, the airports are a pain in the butt. Everyone knows that. Since 9-11, um, you know, you've had the TSA just, I mean, just, it, I mean, it's so ridiculous that you can't even travel with a bottle of water to the airport. So, you know, they make you, they make you give up your water and then go buy an $8 freaking bottle of water inside the airport. It's just kind of ridiculous, you know, um, all these kind of stuff. But, you know, a lot of people will make, say, well, Okay, the TSA is um, a pain in the butt, but isn't it necessary? Don't we kind of don't we kind of need someone to make sure these flights are safe? Which is is one thing, you know. It's totally different nowadays than when it was when um, most of the the listeners of this podcast are our generation Z. So I'm gonna relate it more so to us. But then when our parents were kids, you know, and you could just walk up to the gate and stuff like that, and there wasn't really hijackings or anything like that up until nine eleven. So now they've pretty much created the incentive for it, um, or even brought the idea to, to terms. Um, I imagine that 9-11 was an inside job, but 
um, with that being said, you know, it, TSA is, is, uh, you know, you're, you're not getting out of there without getting in trouble, even if you have marijuana, you know, it's the reason that juice world died. Um, so someone's uh, fine, you know, some airport is, is, you know, not looking for drugs on their people as they go on through, you know, onto these planes and stuff that's up to the airport, but it's going to make the situation a lot better. And you're not going to have tragedies of people like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble with the law. What am I going to do? Um, you know, you, you have different options for that. So you have, you have airports that, you know, maybe allow people to do that. Maybe allow people to travel with a gun, even if it's, you know, not, it's, it, it, even if it's in check baggage, you're not going to have all these crazy restrictions around it or people, you know, getting completely just uh, humiliated and financially obliterated because they have a magazine part. Um, it, ultimately it's the, the ports and the airlines responsibilities to make sure that people are safe, um, when they are, um, going to be flying um these airports uh, just like every other business um you know it really is the the ports and airlines responsibilities um but you know the other thing is is you're going to get more diversity of service um with the privatization of airports you know there's going to be less regulations um coming out of what what kind of um standards of planes go out of there or, or whatever it is um additionally you know we have kind of a big problem with this uh, and this is a common problem that we'll see for the case of privatization, a lot of things, but you know, you've got a lot of people that, that never fly, that can't afford to fly or that have simply have no interest in flying, um, paying for, um, these airports. And, you know, I could talk about the, the skewed tax system and how it disproportionately, uh, negatively affects poor people, but this is just one good example of, of poor people who, who probably don't, if they do at all, you know, fly. And if they do, it's not very often. Um, and they're, you know, they're paying, you know, their taxes are going towards the, the building of these airports and the, the running of these airports. And it's, um, it's just not fair. And, you know, they're just using stolen money from poor people to pay for something that they can't afford to do. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. And in addition to this, you know, you've got massive bailouts for these um, airport companies that seem just to be too big to fail. So, you know, the whole entire airline industry is just completely in bed with the government. And, you know, when, when you get competition involved and you allow bad companies to fail and you allow the diversity of service, you're going to overall get a better service for the consumers. And, you know, the government, the TSA, and all these people that work at the airports, they're not really held accountable by anyone. I mean, you can try and hold them accountable, but really, I mean, you're, and these, these guys are going to do what they're going to do at the airport regardless, and you're going to have a hard time getting people on board to change that. So what's, what's important is that people are, you know, paying for a service that they want. If they are getting a bad service, they're not going to pay for it. They're going to find uh, either other airports or other modes of transportation that, that fit them better. But what you're not going to have is you're not going to have um, people being forced to bail out airlines or poor people being forced to pay for, for airports, stuff that they never even use. B, the second letter of the alphabet, banks. You know, the banks have been in bed with the government from the start. And uh, I got to recommend a great book. You know, I listen to, um, I listen because I don't, as much as it is good for you, I don't really have the time to just like sit down and read. So sometimes rather than music or a podcast, I'll listen to an audiobook. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Murray Rothbard. You know, he's the inventor of anarcho-capitalism. He, he is, you know, he's like the father of it. So, 
you know, he makes a great case um, and talks about in depth the history of currency in the United States. Well, it's not too crazy in depth. You know, he's got books that go way more to depth, but it's a pretty good um, starter book to listen to. It's not too long. Um, and um, he talks about the history of currency in the United States and how banks started and and the way that banks have just bought off the government and the way that they've unified in the, the central bank banking system. And um, they've just essentially created a monopoly at the hand of the government, um, which is something that, you know, regular competition between banks wouldn't even be allowed to do. Now, I myself, like, now, this is where a lot of people will be like, well, you know, if capitalism isn't about supporting major, massive conglomerate corporations, you know, then then why do you buy stuff from them? And this this is clearly an, an argument that someone would give me that doesn't know me very well. And of course, I'll buy stuff from Amazon. I have no problem with Amazon being as big as they are. I mean, they provide massive amounts of jobs and they're really good with their consumer service. Um, so I buy stuff from Amazon, but when it comes to, to foods, I'm, I'm very much local guy. Uh, I buy a lot of local foods and particularly, you know, when it comes to banking, I, I use a local credit union. I don't use Chase. I don't use Wells Fargo. Um, so I, I, you know, this is, this is a part of the stuff where it's like, you know, consumers do have a say in this stuff. And the best part is, is if you don't want to give JP Morgan your money, you don't have to bank with JP Morgan. That's, that's the whole best part about it. This is why the market is so wonderful. Um, so, you know, anyways, in it, the book is called The Fix Was On by Maria Rothbard. And he talks about how um, in the era of big business and stuff like that, um, they would have, you know, these uh, these um, executives from the banks go to the government and, and lobby for them to regulate um, smaller banks or for them to um, make prices um, for like loans and stuff to a rate where only really the big banks could pay for it and afford it, um, regulations on entrance into the market, and it overall just stifles the competition um, for any smaller banks to start. And, and in reality, you know, the banking system is so complex because it's been made that way um, through government regulations. There's a lot of regulations and embedness there. But, you know, when you look at it, it's, it's really very simple. You know, you, you independently could operate your own bank. You know, your friends, it's as simple as your friends give you your money, and then, you know, you, you hang on to it for them. And from there, you know, it's like, well, how do banks make money? You know, you can expand it and, and uh, you know, loan it out if you're willing to pay up in your own pocket, um, you know, and, and run it somewhat like a business and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the, the way that it's gotten now with the insurance for it by the federal government and such, banks, banks I think it's like they have like a maybe a tenth of what they – um, are supposed to be having because they're they're loaning it out and stuff like that, which, you know, if it wasn't for corporate or if it wasn't for, you know, the banks getting bailouts, we saw this big in 2008 with the housing crash. If it wasn't for the banks getting bailouts, it's really very poor uh, financial strategy. Um, and this surely wouldn't happen in a free market. But, you know, the big banks that do this kind of thing know that they're they're protected by the by the federal government and that if their bad policies end up screwing over their consumer consumers, they're not going to face the consequences of it. They're just going to get you know, a big chunk of money from the federal government to keep their bad bank afloat. Uh, C, I could go courts, um, but I decided to use that for L and legal system. So I'm going to talk about companies. Um, you know, the great example of this is the Union Pacific Railroad. Um, you know, it claims to operate as a private company and have the same uh, major private benefits as, as these companies. But um, 
you know, at the same time, these are the same corporations that um, are completely under the federal government's guise of, um, you know, receiving taxpayer money to fund their operations and such. And it's something that is really incredibly um, inefficient and um, it's bad for the consumers. You know, it's, it's something where it's like, you know, if you don't use the railroads, you know, and these railroads aren't be being kept afloat, then you're going to have, you know, innovation for better modes of transportation. The railroad is a very, very old way of transportation. Now, maybe for some instances or products, it's necessary to have a railroad as of now. But for that same purpose, railroads are being funded by people who seldom use their products. So um, it's kind of a, it's, it's one of those situations like with the poor people paying for um, airports, you know, in a lot of situations, the taxpayer money is being paid to fund something that is more so a business between um, companies trying to get stuff from one place to another. And you're essentially making taxpayers pay for the transportation of, of goods that they will likely never use. Um, Murray Rothbard talks about um, in the progressive era, this book um, that I'm actually reading right now um, about, about railroads um, and the way that the, um, the prices and um, the land and the markets were regulated by government and it just stacked it all towards the, the big railroad companies and stifled um, any sort of entrance in the market or competition and um, essentially created a, a monopoly by government of the railroads. So um, that's, you know, a, a good uh, example for companies. But, you know, you've got all sorts of different corporate bailouts. Um, like I said, with the banks, um, companies in bed with the government, you know, you've got um, Tyson Foods. Um, you've got, I mean, major, also Boeing. I mean, this is, this is brought up in the airlines. This is brought up in the banks. And now bring it up in the companies, you know, just kind of, it kind of ties together pretty nicely. But overall, you know, these examples of major companies, um, Walmart, Amazon, getting, um, you know, big amounts of money from the government, which is not acceptable. You know, there's no, um, there's no reason why, and I'll talk about this when I get the grants, but you know, Amazon should be receiving government money for space exploration or whatever products they want to do. It's, it's simply between Amazon and the consumers and Amazon, you know, if they have new projects, you know, there's, there's ways that they can fund that outside of taxpayer money. Uh, being paid to fund stuff that people are either disinterested in, don't believe in, or um, get no benefit from. So um, companies, you know, many companies are kept afloat through bailouts, and they're just in bed with the government. They're one and the same. Um, Kellogg's, um, Johnson & Johnson, um, Pfizer, you know, all these, all these big corporations. And then D, the fourth letter of the alphabet, we got drugs and drug sales. And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, Tyson, you know, this is, this is probably the most common argument against it. Oh my gosh, Tyson, you are going to advocate for the privatization of, of drug sales. Are you telling me that a 12 year old can go and buy heroin? And for which there's multiple, multiple rebuttals for this. Um, first and foremost, um, I'll give a good example. When I went to go buy my first gun, I was 18 years old and, um, I began to, um, become a, a duck hunter you know I, that's that's what i decided to get into um you know my my family we um it's we paid for more so like sports we were a very sporty family growing up um you know so i i played football baseball and basketball growing up you know my sisters did cheer my brother did football um you know i have sisters that do dance and and uh basketball and volleyball and such so uh, we were a very sporty family growing up 
And so, you know, and we had a lot of kids, you know, there's six kids in our family. So, um, you know, this kind of thing was, um, and, and there's a big age range there too. So as much as I may have been the age to have a, a firearm and use it for sport, um, you know, it, my, my parents were like, yeah, you've got siblings in the house, you know, little, little girls that don't know really about firearms or what they're doing. And it's a hazard. And, you know, we weren't going to buy a $600 safe for a $200 gun. So, you know, which is understandable. Like that's, that's their house. It's their rules. So, um, you know, that, that is what it is. So I kept it in my car and I went and bought it, um, myself. And, um, that, that's just the reason that I say that is that's why I, uh, wasn't into hunting earlier and stuff. But anyways, there's no need for me to go into all this. Um, my point is, is when I went and bought this shotgun, um, I was, I was, you know, it's, it's a bit of a process, you know, I was probably at the counter for about 30 minutes. So, uh, you know, I'm just chatting it up with the gun salesman and, and we're talking and, um, I'm asking him about the regulations on gun sales. And he says, yeah, well, you know, one thing that we do, you know, I bought it from Sportsman's Warehouse. And he said, one thing that we do as a company is there are certain like keywords that people will say that will make us, you know, not want to sell them a gun or, or not sell them a gun. So, and that's, that's a company standard. That's not a, like federal regulation. That's something that an individual or a company that, you know, believes that they'll be, um, wrongly selling a firearm to someone or selling it to someone that could be doing damage with it. Um, you know, they, they are, um, taking that accountability into their own hands as a sale of this. So I find it really hard to believe that you would have, um, you know, companies selling heroin to 12 year olds, uh, in that case. Um, but with that being said, you know, it goes, it goes right back to the family and it becomes a family, um, a unit issue. You know, it's kind of Confucius, but to say, you know, family is the basic unit of society. It's kind of a strong, um, it's kind of a strong insinuation and it really holds a lot of weight and it makes a lot of sense. You know, when you've got a strong family, you've got a stronger society. When you've got a family that teaches their children morals, um, you've got a stronger society. When you've got a family that, um, is real with their kids and they teach them about, um, why drugs are bad or why you shouldn't do heroin or, um, whatnot, it's, it's a better situation for the family and for society in general, um, in turn. But with that being said, you know, even if you do have private companies selling heroin to people and say that, it, you know, it's an 18 year old or a 17 year old, at the bare minimum, at least they're not getting it from their sketchy drug dealer friend who, you know, it could be laced with fentanyl or whatever, whatever it is, you know? So if you're allowing companies to sell this in a sophisticated way, you're allowing them to sell specific dosages. Um, you know, I think I, I find it that a lot of companies would, um, you know, want to be like, okay, we're not going to sell you more than one safe dose at a time. Um, or, you know, they're going to have facilities where people can safely do it. And when drugs are legalized, you know, it opens up, um, better opportunities for rehabilitation, but as well as the education for the safe usage of them or, uh, places where it's like, we don't want people overdosing. Like this is a good example. Um, they, they started one up in Salt Lake, I believe, or they are starting one, but you know, they have these facilities where there are doctors on hand and you know, if people want to shoot up heroin, they're not going to be doing like three times the dosage and you know, lethal dosage and stuff like that. You're going to have people that are, um, they're safely regulating it and such. And if a company is known for having a bad reputation for that, then they're going to face that accountability in the marketplace. Now, you know, this is, this is another point where it's like, well, Tyson, how could it be the privatization of drug sales if most drugs are legal, illegal anyways? Um, this bleeds over into um, pharmaceuticals. 
um, and the government regulation abolishing intellectual property. And we'll get into that in a, in a little bit when we do uh, some of these other letters. Um, but in addition to that, you know, a, a, a good example for this is what we have in Utah. Today is Sunday and I live in Utah and the liquor stores are closed and it's all, you can only buy liquor at a state owned liquor store. Um, now I wouldn't know this guy, I've been in there, but I believe they have a very poor selection. Um, it's, you know, poorly run, um, and the taxes for it are high. And so you have a, a poor market for it here. I know people that go out of state just to go buy liquor. So, um, you know, with even, even with that, you know, today's Sunday and the, it's closed. So, you know, you got tons of people wanting to watch football on Sundays and, you know, they, now they can't go, or even college students that are now enjoying their break, they can't go, um, exercise their 21st amendment. Right. Um, so that's, that's drugs and drug sales. Now E is education. And this is kind of a big one. Um, because there's some great cases for the privatization of education. Um, first and foremost, you know, this allows for competition between schools. Um, you know, you've got a horrible system now where you have, um, students that are seldom or unable to transfer or variance to different schools, which, um, does not provide for any competition. Rather, you know, you're allowing, um, the, the poor running of these schools and overall just failing education systems. You, you're, it's just like the corporate bailouts. You're just keeping it afloat and you're just prolonging the problem that's going to manifest itself itself as it gets worse. And as time goes on, so you're funding these, these clearly failing systems. Um, if, if you had a real choice in education, you know, you're not going to put your kid in, in bad schools, the bad schools are going to fail and, and people are going to not go there. And, and with that being said, even if there are schools, you know, there are going to be schools that are not as great as the next, but the standard of competition is being raised. The standard of education is being raised. And overall, the quality of these schools are going to continuously go up as um, new theories are found, new technology is innovated, and as the standard of education begins to increase with innovation um, in a progressive manner, you're going to see it going up. It won't get worse. It'll get better. And with the way the government does it is sure government will, will change, but government doesn't change based off of what necessarily the consumers want. Government changes based off of what it deems necessary for education. Um, and so what you're doing is you're, you're putting old theories or um, theories that barely move into, into failing systems. And, and that's essentially what creates it. Um, with that being said, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that these, uh, well, a lot of these situations are just kind of uh, stuff. It, I'm going to be honest. It was hard to come up with all these different letters for stuff. It was really hard. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something. But a lot of, you know, these arguments, I've, I heard a great book. It's a, it's a bit longer. Um, or a New Liberty, The Libertarian Manifesto by Murray Rothbard. He basically makes the case for the privatization of all sorts of different things. And he does a really great job with education. And he talks about, you know, when you have privatized education, you can go to, you know, you can pay for your students to learn different things at schools. Um, you can pay for secular schools, religious schools, conservative schools, liberal schools, libertarian schools, schools that teach, um, you know, socialist economics, schools that teach free market economics, Austrian economics. Um, so, you know, you're going to have a huge variety of just what type of education you're going to go into. And, um, you know, there's, there are some theories that would make this better. Um, you know, saying that, that the taxpayer money should fund the children, 
rather than the systems, which I would agree with. I think that's a step forward in um, reforming the system. However, you still got this massive underlying problem, which again, we saw, you know, we'll see this over and over again, but you've got people that don't have kids um, paying property taxes for schools. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not morally acceptable for, or, or even generally acceptable for us to say that, that they should be forced to pay for education for kids they didn't have. Kids are expensive. And, um, you know, education is a, is a price that should come with the kid. Um, if, if that's what you deem fit for them, you know, you can homeschool them all you want, but, um, you know, for all I know, you, all you would need to do is go to a specific school that teaches you how to homeschool as well. Maybe it's like an extra two years or whatever. And then, you know, you're totally fit to homeschool your kids, all the same things that you learn throughout school. So, um, you know, with that being said, um, you know, you've got all sorts of, of different avenues to take this, but you have people paying for, for schools and they shouldn't be when it's, when it's really not right for them to be. And you have tons of different solutions and ways this can get fixed because the market provides solutions. The market takes you all sorts of different avenues. You know, I use an analogy of ice cream all the time. I want strawberry pistachio chocolate chip ice cream. Not actually I like pistachio ice cream, but not actually, you know, but what I'm saying is if I want something, you know, that's completely tethered and, and um, appeals to me, then that's what I get. I, so I'm not dealing with vanilla ice cream. Fifty-one percent of the population most have vanilla ice cream, and you're going to get that same kind of innovation and um, individual individualism when it comes to education, rather than you know being pumped. And I and I know that a lot of students have a problem with this, but you know kids being pumped into these systems where it's one size fits all, everyone's put into the same mold, um, everyone's held to the same standard, and it's and it's quite ridiculous. There are many kids that I know, many of my peers, many of my friends. That simply should not have been going to school after the 10th grade. They, there's no reason that they couldn't already be learning valuable trade skills, um, working on the job and um, making their way up into the company. And, you know, if they had a two year head start, they would already be making like, a, like, if not four or more, more dollars an hour than they are now. Um, but instead, you know, they're learning complex things. They're learning math that they'll never use. Um, and you know, they're, they're learning about stuff that frankly is, is being retaught just slightly more in depth and they, they're never going to apply that to their lives. You know, you see the same thing with, um, universities and you see it when it comes to like general education in universities, it's just an extension of high school. And, you know, it's, it's a big problem. In fact, that's a major reason why a lot of, um, males, um, this age are not going to college. And, you know, it, and I, I see why it's kind of ridiculous. I, I have a really hard time telling someone that they should go to college when they talk about wasting two years of their college on stuff that they already learned in high school or stuff that doesn't pertain to what they want to go to college to learn. So, you know, and it's not that way in a trade school and it's not that way in on the job learning. There is a, a ton of different reasons and, and ways that you could take education so that it makes it a better system. Um, and you know, you allow the specialization of, of people to, to capitalize on their skills and to expand those particular skill sets rather than forcing everyone to this prolonged system, um, of, of making them all the same. It, and it has a lot to do with conditioning. Murray Rothbard talks about it in Fort New Liberty, but originally, um, it was the, the Protestants, um, that, that wanted education, um, to be publicized and, um, a lot of this, you know, was, was done through, um, efforts. Now here's, here's, here's the real kicker. The, the white supremacists in the KKK 
were massive advocates for public education, and they did this in the name of assimilation. So it, it's essentially conforming everyone to have the same thought process, and you know it it goes into this melting pot thing rather than the more political correct idea of like a salad, um, you know, because a salad's got a bunch of different pieces and all comes together very nicely, but you know everyone says you know the croutons have their own independent identity, the the salad does, and and then you all, and then you get to. Um, consume and partake in all of these different cultures rather than the assimilation of all just being, you know, melted into a pot um, and all being the same. It's bland, it's boring, and it doesn't allow for individualism, and it's it's mind conditioning. And, you know, the assimilation argument is what was used by white supremacist groups like the KKK to um, deprive and rip uh, immigrants of their identities. So, um, I, and I could probably go on education for a long time, but, you know, school choice is a big one. It, competition will always allow for the best, and it allows for individual education and results. So, next we got farms. Um, you know, you've got all sorts of, of money going to farms and such, and, you know, you see the same problem with farms um, with, with corporate bailouts, you know, um, six letter of the alphabet, F. And, you know, so you see these same problems that we saw with the banks, that we see with the airlines, that we see with the railroads. You see a lot of these same problems, you know, through major companies being propped up and essentially um, being uh, funded by the government into a monopoly, which is kind of ridiculous. So, um, you know, but one good example, you know, I believe what you want about climate change, right? But it's, it's, it's a real thing. The, the earth is getting warmer now. Now, whether you believe or not that humans are a part of that, you know, that's that's one thing. But if you watch the documentary Kiss the Ground, um, it talks about on there how it's bad for the environment when the government pays farmers to stay on one crop. And, um, you know, and it, it doesn't diversify the soil enough. And it just frankly doesn't do good enough for um, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't allow the right uh, chemicals to get into the air. And it, it's bad for the environment, um, increases greenhouse gas, such like that. So privatizing the farms will allow people to, you know, more locally to buy more local stuff. You're not going to have, um, you know, it's, it's going to be more of a commodity to own a farm rather than something to be bought out. Grants G, uh, this is the big one. You know, you have a lot of foundations and schools and, and research projects and such that applying for government grants. Um, but the interesting thing about this is that you've got companies that will then pr prioritize fundraising and making their... Um, research and such more um, more useful to the consumers and more appealing to the consumers. And then you allow the people to, to give their money to what research product they think will benefit them or they think are beneficial for society or they believe ethically correct. And you're not having the, the government use stolen money to fund gain-of-function testing in China or to see beagles being, having their vocal cords ripped out and be, being eaten alive by sandflies. So it's the same concept. You know, there's a huge underlying concept here of money being uh, stolen for unethical purposes. And that, that is essentially government. So on top of that, you've got H, healthcare. You know, this is a big one where it's a huge problem. And, you know, you know, there's healthcare problems in America, undoubtedly. But, you know, you see the solution for that in a lot of circumstances. People, you know, being like, we need the, the government to step in. We need the government to stop it. And this is the whole problem with the situation because most of these problems with healthcare were created by the government. Now, um, you know, you've got massive regulations over insurance companies. You've got, um, you know, uh, intellectual property, property for pharmaceuticals. And, um, you know, essentially you just have this big money fest where these people are taking the profits and giving it to the government. 
And, you know, they're all doing each other favors and scratching each other's backs, but abolishing intellectual property and not allowing people to hide behind the government protection for monopolizing a life-saving medica medication um, would, would drastically decrease uh, the prices of insulin and, and other life-saving medications. Uh, I, interstate trade, um, honestly, it's up to businesses to cooperate and, you know, they know it's in all of their best interests to cooperate. Um, regulations on transportation, um, inter interstate transportation, basically only hurts states that need to import more goods, um, you know, states that are less self-sustainable and states that are uh, struggling a little bit more, um, because then you're restricting the amount of economic activity that can go on and um, essentially, you know, uh, breaking the legs of the, of the economy of that particular region. Um, you know, and in addition to that, you know, you've got taxpayer money going like the railroads going to pay for the transportation of goods that, um, you know, these taxpayers don't necessarily use. Now they may use them, they may not use them, but the whole point is, is you are undoubtedly having, you know, people's taxpayer money going towards the payment of the regulation and transportation of goods that they don't use. Jails. Um, now this is one that might be like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is, you know, you privatizing the jails is horrible. You're asking for slavery. Now, here's here's the overall deal. In a in a free society, in a society where there's not a monopoly on violence, you're going to see a huge change here when when people are um, incarcerated in jail for you know that they're going on trial, and then that person is found innocent. That is nothing other than kidnapping, and that is nothing other than involuntary servitude and ripping someone away from their life. And in a regular society where it's not the government hiding behind, you know, their laws and the two-tier justice system, um, you know, you will have people being prosecuted for that sort of thing because they have created a victim and they have wrongfully um, incarcerated somebody. So, um, you know, you're going to have a whole, you know, different a change, you know, and I'm going to go this back to the courts, but but you're, you'll be allowed to... to uh, hold those people accountable for involuntary servitude in these situations. In addition, you know, with the, this will lead to massive criminal justice reform. Um, you're not going to have a government going around victimizing people from victimless crimes and, and seeking people to, to incarcerate or to extort funds from. And you're going to see a bigger focus on rehabilitation and you're going to see a bigger focus on restitution to the victim rather than essentially through taxpayer money, having the victim actually pay for the incarceration and, um, and, you know, uh, lifestyle and the, the food and the housing and stuff for the person that did them wrong. In, in our society, you're, the victim is basically forced to pay for that person's living now. Um, in, a, in a free society, um, the, the paradigm would be shift and people would, uh, you know, um, not be so concerned about um, incarceration per se because it's kind of pointless and, you know, unless it's very rare circumstances, but uh, more so on restitution to the victim. Uh, knowledge, it can, it can, you know, this, this plays into government run schools, but this also has to do with the declassification of critical information. And essentially you have a bunch of unelected bureaucrats that have no accountability to consumers to, to tell the truth or to even release information. You know, these JFK files are supposed to be released and declassified a long time ago, but they're inaccessible. And so, you know, you have, um, innovation, um, you know, through technology and weapons, which is which is monopolized through bailouts to government, and you don't allow um, knowledge and innovation to flourish the way that it properly should in the market, because the government is now taking it, classifying it, making it secret, and this kind of uh, monopoly on knowledge that the government has is something that shows its way in all sorts of different things, and they're allowed to get away with stuff that that no company would ever be able to get away with. 
hell, the legal system. Again, you know, this goes right in with jails, but it focuses on rehabilitation and restoration of the victims. Um, you're, you know, you're not going to have involuntary servitude of people being uh, thrown into um, in incarceration uh, without being found guilty, without these companies being forced to uh, deal with the consequences of it. And, you know, they've got their reputation at stake because they have to deal with competition. And so, you know, if you got a company that, that you know, is an insurance company, uh, um, you know, you'll likely see courts and uh, policing um, combined. But you're going to see these companies um, overall have to deal with the consequences of their behavior rather than the government because they don't have a monopoly on violence. They have to compete. And so um, people that are getting locked up for no reason, there's going to be big problems with that. And no one's going to want to pay the government or uh, no one's going to want to pay the companies that are doing those kind of things. And for marriage, um, you know, there's there's no need for, for violence and force in marriage. And that's what the government is. You know, it brings that whole new aspect into it. The whole concept of alimony is quite ridiculous. Um, you know, this is why if I ever get married, I'll, um, I'll do a prenup for sure. Um, but, you know, divorce. And the way that um, child separation goes and, and the distribution of kids, um, it's a complete mess. And, and you know, there's, there's no reason that the government should have harmful regulations on marriage as they have throughout history. But in addition, it's, you know, if, if polygamy should be legal. And I've done a whole episode on the government and marriage and where we went wrong on this one. So if you guys want to listen to that episode and get a little bit more in depth on the marriage thing, um, I got that. I talk about gay marriage and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there's there's no need for violence and force in marriage. Um, there's there should be no violent contractual obligation or an obligation to give up half of your stuff in order to love somebody. That is quite ridiculous. And Native American assistance, and this also plays into Native American sovereignty. Uh, you you know the correct libertarian position on on the Native Americans are to allow them to become their own sovereign states, and I completely agree with that. Allowing the Native Americans to privatize themselves. Um, this has to do with you know. Um, all sorts of different things. And even aside from, from them necessarily privatizing themselves, you, you see a lot of sympathy for the Native American communities. And, um, you know, you see all sorts of different um, uh, systems where they're giving them uh, fr free legal aid and stuff like that. And um, overall, you know, you're, you're going to allow these people to somewhat live by their rules. But one thing that we do know and always have known is that the federal government has never made the Native American situation better. And the best thing that we can do, honestly, is to allow them to be sovereign states, um, privatize themselves independently from the federal government, and, and live by their own by their own rules. Oh, occupational licensing. Um, this is something, it's a very harmful regulation and barrier into the market for, for labor from the government. Um, in addition to this, you know, you have... Um, it's, it's better through companies for multiple reasons. You know, um, again, you've got the useless training and restrictions and fees that go into occupational licensing that just basically prevent the poor from being able to uh, get jobs or at least stifles them from being able to get jobs or even start their own business when it comes to them uh, obtaining certain occupational licensing. But in addition to this, if you allow on the job occupational licensing or certifications by companies, um, this is going to increase company credibility as well as uh, allow them to be a place of training and, and therefore um, more likely to, to be, uh, you know, um, more likely for laborers to want to go there, considering that they're being certified, learning new trades there through the company. Uh, in addition to this, you know, it also um, turns, you know, rather than a, a certification being a, a regulation or a, a standard, it turns it into an asset. And it allows companies to expand their resources and assets. And it allows people to expand their resources and assets in terms of, um, you know, being uh, able to hold that consistent 
and that certification consistent through whatever jobs that they might have. In addition to this, um, you got so in addition to O, you got P, uh, pub, public lands. Uh, oh, and a good a, a example for the occupational licensing is trade workers and such. You've got um, public lands, and uh, you could also do policing in this. And so I'll do them both real quick. Policing, you're going to tie that right into the legal system. Um, you know, if neighbor Y robs neighbor X, neighbor X calls his insurance company and they do an investigation or, you know, communities have um, their own policing, you know, gated off communities or whatever, HOA, um, even even religious, you know, you could have that. Um, or some people like myself might not feel the need to uh, pay for it and um, feel like they can handle it themselves. And, you know, whatever that might be, that's okay. So, um, but ultimately, you know, you're not having, um, like the court systems, uh, government going out in search of people to victimize. Um, and along with this, you know, a lot of people make the claim that, well, protection is absolutely necessary. You know, it should be one of the things that's provided by government. It is not food and water also absolutely necessary or even education. Um, these, these are examples of stuff that, that have not, you know, are not paid for by the government. And it's something that really should be, um, should be brought into the competition of the market rather than a continuous monopoly on violence held by the government. Public lands for P as well. Um, you know, you're not going to have government monopolies on lands. This allows people to homestead. Um, this is great reparations for slavery, by the way, if, if people are still talking about that. Um, but in, in addition, and we'll get to this when we get to S, but um, resource control and environments, um, you know, you if you have a forest that's owned, run by the government, um, you know, the private companies are leased out at certain times. They're just going to go in there and chop as many trees as they can. Rather than if that forest is privately owned, you're going to have, um, rather than them completely destroying the forest because it's about speed, uh, you're going to have people that are more incentivized by um, maintaining a resource and allowing it to continuously be productive. It's like taking care of a machine in a factory. Huge quality oversight. You know, the FDA allows ridiculous stuff consumers wouldn't want through their system. Um, in addition to this, um, it basically holds um it basically holds uh no liability on companies and they don't have to fess up to their consumers because all they have to do is get it checked off by the fda and again it is not an efficient system of doing it so um you basically allow bad products to be legalized and um you know in bad stuff to happen uh through the uh through the the systems in place where they, they favor big businesses and you know for a pretty penny they'll get your product that probably shouldn't be used by consumers uh, through the FDA, and now all of a sudden the company is um, held liable from from their bad products, and and then they don't have to worry about the, the uh, competition in the marketplace because again they get to hide behind the federal government. R for roads. Now this is one that you know I a lot of people get hard with, but I think as soon as you figure like kind of like make sense of it, it makes sense. You know, you're going to have all sorts of different roads. You can have roads for truckers. You can have roads for people that want to drive faster. You can have roads for, for even old people. You can have all sorts of different roads, all sorts of different avenues, all sorts of different ice creams. But in addition to this, there's no one singular blueprint on how exactly this is going to work out or how it's going to be paid for. But there are multiple ways of doing it. Um, one way of doing it is a, a tax on the gas through a toll road. You know, you get, get on a toll road and they've got a tax on the gas that's on the side of the toll road. Um, another one is you could buy a subscription, ten dollars a month. You get to use this specific road. They, you know, they scan your thing like uh, the HOV lanes, kind of, as you go through. Um, you know, you could have a subscription for like a, you know a hundred dollars a year to all these different roads, kind of like Amazon Prime. And it's like, okay, you get to use this company roads. You could even have joint subscriptions like they do with ski resorts and such. 
and uh, it'll overall um, increase the amount of roads and and driving techniques available to consumers. But in addition to that, you know, it will uh, it will um, help um, companies to work to bet together for the uh, best interest of the consumers. SCs, this has to do with the, you know, like resources, uh, overfishing has been a problem. Um, and it's, you know, very similar to the same thing that you see with the, the trees in the forestry. Um, there is for sure technology where you can quadrant off places of the ocean for, for private use, but it's going to incentivize fishing. It's going to incentivize, um, you know, the, the harvesting and maintaining of resources such as fish. Um, as well as, you know, you're going to see less conflicts in international waters because of, you know, aggressive uh, states with monopolies on violence and uh, the constant fear of threat from another uh, monopoly on violence in a different region. Uh, in addition to this, you're going to drastically decrease the amount of pollution in the oceans. Um, you know, if, if this, you know, if you have this company that's, that's polluting in the ocean and, you know, they or even this government polluting this ocean and they get there uh, and they ruin my, uh, my fish farm that I've got in the ocean in my property uh, with their pollution, then they have created a victim and damaged your property. And that's, that's, you know, can be brought to an independent arbiter and restitutions can be made to the victim. Um, so, you know, that, that would be seen as aggression on property. Um, overall, it's going to decrease pollution and it's going to solve a lot of the resource problems that we see coming out of the ocean. T transportation, you know, you got people paying for public public transportation that they don't use. Again, this is a problem that we see in a lot of cases, people paying for stuff that they don't use. Um, you're going to have more innovation and efficiency as well as competition um, when it comes to public transportation um, being privatized. You know, you're going to see um, the stops being better. You're going to see the routes be more efficient. You're going to see them tailored to the consumers more. You're going to see um, all sorts of different uh, beneficiary passes and, uh, systems of making it better and you're not going to burden people of paying for it that don't use public transportation in addition to this you know you see situations where this is kind of a bit of a you know a thing in the libertarian twitter for a little while but you know like homeless people in subways and stuff like that if the subways are privately owned then you don't have the question of public property being used and one taxpayer being pissed because another taxpayer does this and another taxpayer being pissed because of whatever um, you just basically have a private company saying, yeah, we're not going to let bombs hang out on our property. And, you know, you're not going to let heroin needles be on the ground. And it's something that overall would, would increase the, the cleanliness and efficiency of transportation. Uh, you, unions, you know, unions have been in bed with the government so badly. And, you know, you see these unions lobbying for favors, um, you know, getting funding from the government and such. And, you know, you also have unions in the, in the public sector as well, which is unacceptable. You know, it's being funded with taxpayer money to keep bad teachers and bad police in a job. But, you know, with that being said, uh, these unions are being restricted by the government. They're being shut down by the government and they're not allowing them to properly uh, negotiate workers' rights with the, um, with the organizations or the uh, businesses that they're related to. So, you know, the, you are having the government basically put a handicap on the power of the, the workers in the free market. And, you know, by uh, not all strikes are legalized. That's like a good example. Like strikes should be legalized across the board. Um, you know, that, that's involuntary servitude if you have the government making certain strikes illegal. So um, with that being said, you know, legalizing all the strikes and allowing the unions to actually represent their workers and being able to negotiate with the companies is overall just going to improve the marketplace for, for labor. 
Um, also, in addition to that, you know, you got the vaccines. Uh, you know, there's there's no accountability for um, there's no accountability for um, you know these these companies with the the vaccines. Um, you know, you've got these bailouts for them. You've got intellectual property protections. Um, you know, and and if someone sells a bad vaccine, like this COVID vaccine is a great example. Um, you know, you've got no liability to these companies and, you know, they're in bed with the government and you've got the government propagandizing all of it, propagandizing that you have to take this product and they're making tons of money off of it. And it's just big money pit, just like the healthcare system. Um, welfare, you know, um, this is a great example. The Mormon church is a good example of private welfare. But in addition to this, you know, there's all sorts of different systems that people can create that um, are, are beneficial for people teaching them real trades and such. Uh, teaching them job skills for pink collar jobs and so on. Um, you know, you've got all sorts of different avenues that this private welfare could go rather than incentivizing people not to work through the public welfare system and, you know, basically creating the system of dependence that we've seen uh, majorly propped up through the Democratic Party, but seeing this um, system of, of government dependence that's been created um, and this taxation that, again, when it comes to welfare, disproportionately affects um, the, the poorer people. So, you know, I think the best the best form of, of welfare that we could do for the poor people in the United States right now is the, the abolition of taxes for people uh, that are in lower income communities and people that make lower incomes. Uh, so X, this one is kind of hard, but I was able to figure it out. I'm sure you guys have heard of the word xenophobia. And so this, this is mainly like Xenos relationships, um, asylum and welfare. So this, again, is it kind of plays into welfare, but the relationship between people should be, um, you know, if, if someone doesn't want to pay for, like, I'll give you a great example. When it comes to, um, you know, all these Afghans seeking asylum, um, this whole situation was created by our bad government policy and our military and unconstitutional wars being done and such. So, you know, when you have uh, people independently being allowed to do that, you have people that maybe don't want to help these people. Maybe they think it's too big of a risk for them. That's their decision. Maybe you have people that are very eager to help these people. Maybe you have people in systems that are willing to give their homes or give a room in their home or whatever it is. You are going to basically create all sorts of different avenues for these relations to go. And rather than having a government making a policy that separates children from their, from their uh, parents, um, you know, in the name of all United States citizens, you allow the citizens to do, you allow humans to do what they deem as uh, humanity for other humans. And it overall would increase uh, the relations of Americans with other people in the world because Americans are a very generous people, but other people in the world don't necessarily like us because of our government. Uh, why? You. You. The privatization of you. You own yourself. You get a monopoly on yourself. You get a right to your own labor. You have a right to the fruits of your labor without being taxed on it. Um, you know, through straight robbery is the income tax. You have a right to um, allocate your fruits of your labors to whatever you deem necessary in terms of um, what uh, products or services that you should pay for. And, you know, the right to your own body, the right to put in your body or, um, you know, do to yourself what you would want. Um, the privatization of you is is simply the the whole um, philosophy of libertarianism. It is it is you are you have a monopoly on yourself. You are the only one that gets to choose if you raise your left hand right now. You're the only one that gets to choose if you blink three times right now. So you know again, this is this is something that is the most practical law of of human nature. It is the most basic and undisputable law of human nature that you do have control over yourself. You do own yourself. And that is the, the 
the practical argument for libertarianism and you know the right to, to free agency and the right to individual agency and the uh, ability for someone to make their own choices. And then Z, you have zoos. Um, you know, a lot of zoos are very unethical, and this is kind of a dying a dying business model in a lot of ways um, because zoos are so unethical. And you know, you've got taxpayers who don't go to the zoo or are paying for public zoos and paying for the incarceration of these animals, which is, you know, very many people object to this. And there's no reason that their money should be paid to things that they deem as immoral or that frankly are immoral. But I'll give you a good example. You know, private zoos, um, you know, through consumer paradigms, private zoos are actually going to be better than public zoos because they're, they're not going to be there regardless, right? So if a private zoo is, is doing horrible things and such, you're not going to see them have the same kind of power as the government in terms of, well, we can continue to force this zoo to stay alive because we choose what we do with money and allocate it to wherever we deem necessary rather than these companies who run the zoos, they're getting paid for the zoos. And if a zoo becomes a liability, even if they're not just in the zoo industry to the company, then it's going to be no use for them to hang on to it. Um, in terms of, of the government, you know, you have the government monopolizing all sorts of different protectionisms for, for different animals and such, and, and you're keeping unethical dying businesses afloat by reallocating taxpayer money to them. A great example of a private zoo is the Phoenix Zoo. Phoenix Zoo is the largest private zoo in the United States, and uh, basically all of the animals there are actually rescued animals. And this is something that's reinforced through consumer paradigms where people are wanting more ethical treatment of animals or even uh, a zoo that is just based off of straight good ethics. Uh, the Phoenix Zoo is very clean and beautiful and the animals there are all taken very well care of. This is a great example on how um, overall privatization of the zoos make it more appealing to the consumers. And again, it's like a machine, you know, if you keep it up and running and healthy, it's going to it's gonna be better for you, it's going to work better for you, and it's going to be a better asset. Did that kind of quick. I know I had to pick it up a little bit there. I left my charger at a different location and I am running low on battery. So... That being said, ladies and gentlemen, that is the ABCs of the case for the privatization of everything. So I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Utah Liberty Talk again. I hope it was entertaining. If you have any questions or feedback, always feel free to reach out to me at TR4Freedom on Twitter. Um, all that's really good stuff. So I have always loved to hear it back. You can reach out to me on the website as well. Always love the feedback. Always love that kind of stuff. Uh, check us out on Patreon. Take a look at the store. Maybe some good Christmas gifts on there. With that being said, though, that is the privatization of everything. Thank you very much for listening. Y'all have a good one.